Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Would you take out your Bibles? We're going to John chapter 11. We are looking today at what happened after Jesus raised Lazarus to life. We discussed that. We saw that remarkable moment. I think this event is is absolutely what got Jesus killed. (laughs) This one became intolerable. Um, You you had, at this point, uh, all the alarm bells went off, and and you, you have to stop him. Uh, if he keeps on like this, there's just no telling what's going to happen. You've, you've had a, two miles just east of Jerusalem, little town of Bethany. You've had one of the prominent citizens in the area. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, three single adults, uh, family, brothers and sisters, living together um, and clearly well-known. Top leaders have come out to the funeral. Funerals last for days, so people have come out and are staying there. Um, This is a big social event, if you want to put it that way. And then Jesus shows up. They all come out to the tomb thinking that that Mary is going out to mourn. And so you've got all of these people there kind of in this semicircle around uh, and, and watching Jesus. And he stands and says, remove the stone. Actually, he says, lift the stone. So somebody lifts this stone. Apparently, the, 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 the cave uh, opening, because it's a, a cave that's been carved out as a tomb, is down, not in the side of something. So the, probably a stairway to it. And then he says, Lazarus! And what he, what he says is, now, here! That's what he said. That's the words. Uh, Duro exo is the Greek. Duro, exo, except he spoke Aramaic. Uh, and, and, and then this man who ha- everybody knows, everybody probably knows what he died from, who has been wrapped in pounds and pounds of aloe and myrrh and goo and, and, and wrapped with, with strips of bandages, comes up out of that, <laughs> out of that hole in the ground. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's just, I mean, this is shocking. This is, this is stunning stuff. And, and here are all the top leaders seeing it, you know, most, many of them. Well, at that moment, the, the reality of, of who Jesus is is indisputable. Nobody pulls that off uh, except God is clearly with you. And, and so it just divides the group that's watching. Uh, many of them, and we're talking, when I say, when I say religious leaders, I'm talking about uh, some of the top priests, we're talking about what, what we would call today the ultra-Orthodox. Uh, the, the, the Pharisees are there. Uh, you've, got, you've got some of the Sanhedrin members are there. And they're watching this, and it just, it just splits the group. Some people are going, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm with him. I'm going with him. And, 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 and they literally, uh, John says, they were leaving. Uh, in other words, they were leaving their posts and beginning to become disciples. And others went to Jerusalem and reported uh, to the authorities what had happened and wanted so they could stop it. So it just split the group right like that. 
After that, what we're going to look at today is a conspiracy. It's a plot. A, a group of top leaders meant, met to figure out how to kill him. And, and, I, and I, I just want to show you the dynamics that are here, because we have two groups that hate each other. We have the chief priests, and they are the, they are the, um, the Sadducees. That, that group doesn't believe in the spiritual world. They don't believe in the resurrection. You think, well, what are they doing? Well, they're making money. And, and uh, believe it or not, that happens in religion. And, and then they, they, they care about the temple activities, because that's how they gain revenue. And then you have what we would call conservative, Bible-believing, ultra-conservative Jewish people who, who believe in the resurrection, believe in the spiritual world, believe in all that kind of stuff. You can see why they hate each other, huh? I mean, these are two very, very different groups. But when you have a common enemy, when you have somebody you're both angry at, that can bring groups together. But it's a bad reason to come together. And then John's going to show us the right reason. Holy Spirit, open our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts. Give us grace and understanding today, Lord, to love your word and to love you. You are our Lord. We want you to disciple us. And I pray for grace that you can speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. We're in John 11. I'm going to start at verse 47. Go down to verse 53. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And then John adds, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Would you start with me at right, gather together into one? Let's just read that. Gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Love, not anger. Human beings have always had a hard time getting along with each other. Some forces, the same forces that separate us from God also separate us from people. The Bible uses a simple word to describe those forces. It calls them sin, and that's with a capital S. Bundled into that one word are three destructive attitudes that have been the source of our troubles from the first humans onward. Those attitudes are selfishness, rebelliousness, and independence. Now, those aren't pleasant words to say, but would you say them out loud? Selfishness, rebelliousness, and independence. I think that pretty well captures a lot of the big forces that, are, that the Bible would call sin. The, the sins, small s, that we commit, humans commit are the result of the sin, capital S, that's inside us. If you examine the things we do that offend God and hurt others, you will usually find that they are the result of one or more of those three attitudes, selfishness, rebelliousness, or independence. Jesus went to the cross not only to forgive our sins, small s, but to free us from the sin, capital S, that causes us to do those sins. He does that by giving us a new heart and filling us with the Holy Spirit. 
He places our selfishness, pardon me, he replaces our selfishness with selfless love, our rebelliousness with trusting surrender, and our independence from him and others with humble cooperation. Do you see those three terms? Selfless love. That means uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm learning to love others, not for what I get out of it. I'm learning to love sacrificially in a costly, painful, selfless way. And who modeled that? Jesus Christ did. We are to love one another even as Christ loved us and loved the church, yes. So that's, a, that's, a, that's quite the commandment. So selfless love is what he's putting in there. Trusting surrender. Why can I trust God? Why can I surrender to him and give him full control? Because I trust him. It has everything to do with that. If he's pure, if he's loving, if his ways are good and right, all of them, nothing he would ask of me or do, do in my life is anything but holy, meaning completely loving, completely uh, pure. If that's who I'm serving, then I can trust him even when I don't understand what's going on. I can surrender to him. That's why I, many times you and I will get in situations and life is going on and you're thinking, what is going on here? And you, we will fall back on that question, Jesus, I trust you. I surrender to you. I trust you because of who you are. I just don't understand this. Anyone ever prayed that prayer? Yeah. yeah. Anyone not? Okay. And then the third thing I had there was, was, uh, was, was that... Uh, Humble cooperation. We are by nature independent. It's hard for us to just, to just work with others and everything else. But God brings us into humble cooperation. Many times you're, you know, you're the smartest person in the room, but you've got to work with a bunch of us. And, and, it, and, and it really does take humility. You're often having to go, man, these guys, you know. And, and but Jesus... They're my brothers and sisters. And so you, you, there's, a, there's a humble cooperation that goes on in our hearts. It's part, of the, it's part of the process. When that miracle takes place, a person not only enters into a new relationship with God, but with other people as well. Those forces that used to drive us apart are still present in our flesh. And, and that word, I, if, let, me, let me fill it in a second. The Bible teaches us that when we receive Christ, when we, we repent and, and, and believe in him by faith, that God takes out the heart of stone and he puts in the heart of flesh. In other words, he literally changes your want to, your desires, your attitudes. He fundamentally changes you inside so that you now want to do the right thing. You love him. You want to please him. Now, the thing that you've got to understand, and this is really critical, is he, it doesn't change your flesh. Your flesh is the same old stubborn body that you had. So it's full of adrenaline, it's full of anger, it's full of, of, of hormones, it's full of weariness and fear. All of those things are still there. When will that go? At the resurrection. Yeah, the body will be redeemed, but it does not. That's, what I'm describing right now is Romans 7 and Romans 8. This is, this is what I'm, not, I'm making this up. This is what the Bible teaches you. So what you've been given is a spirit that loves him, and then Paul says, here's the key, you're also filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so you have within you the power, and his term, put to death the deeds of the flesh. So now I can rule my body. 
I, I had a woman last weekend come up to me, and she was, she was uh, confessing, and she was struggling with something, and she was just so frustrated with herself. She said, I don't know what's wrong with me after all these years. I'm still struggling with this. And I said, I know what's wrong with you, because you're just like me. And I said, <laughs> I, I said, you're a normal Christian. What? I said, yeah, the body is still the body. And I said, yeah, what you're frustrated with is why do I still keep feeling these things? I said, but you're putting them to death. You're choosing the right thing over and over again. You're, you're, a, you're a Christian woman struggling with this issue. We all are. She said, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> you know how many people get caught in that? They think to themselves, if, if I were really a Christian, by now this should be gone. If you figure that out, you let me know. I will tell you, by obedience, by learning to do this, those powers, those forces do calm down. You don't live just, just sweating bullets all the time. But that, the old thing, when you get tired, you get hungry, you get angry, you know the thing. And when you get in those things, that those old things can swell, and there they are again. That's the body. So the spirit inside, the new heart says, Lord, I don't want to, live. I don't want to do that. I don't want to say those kind of things. So be with me, and you lean on the Holy Spirit, and he gives you the power to put to death those forces. Do you follow this? Amen. This is the Christian walk. It's not an easy one, but neither is sin. Neither is giving way to the flesh. You want a rough ride? Let the body have its way. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll drive everybody out of the room. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I mean by flesh. That, and I would add, the old thinking. There's, it's like the brain still has those old memories and stuff in it, the, 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 literally the, the physical brain. But they no longer have the power to enslave us. That's why John can say this in one of his letters. Would you read this out loud with me? We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. John says you can tell when a person really knows God, they not only love God, they also love his people. They also love his people the way we are, with our weaknesses and our, 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 our struggles. I've told you, my, I've told you my, my walk with that, my journey with that. When I, want, I, I said, God, I love you, but I don't like your people. And I thought that was funny, you know. Uh, and, and the Lord really chastened me. He said, I don't think that's funny at all. Don't say it again. And he said, I love my people. And I thought, don't you have any taste? You know, <laughs> what's wrong with you? He loves us a, a lot. He, he really does. It's not just talk. And he fully understood your weaknesses when he got you. He fully understood your struggles. He saw, he saw the entire future when he got you. None of this is a shock to him at all. He is a father raising children, not a judge hammering you down. Do you follow this? It's really an important concept to understand. He's, he's very, very patient and very kind with us. So if I understand those things, he says, I will love people. I will love his people, not just him. All right, selfless love. Trusting surrender and humble cooperation not only draw us close to God, but they draw us close to each other as well. Those qualities draw us together for the right reasons, and they make it possible for us to accomplish amazing things. That's how teams are formed. That's how great things happen. 
I want you to see the dynamic that takes place in that room with that secret meeting between the, the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees. The impact that this miracle, that would be raising Lazarus, had on the community can be seen by the reaction it produced among two very different groups, the chief priests and the Pharisees. Ordinarily, the chief priests and the Pharisees were opponents. Chief priests were appointed by political leaders. Their focus was on running the temple and profiting from its activities. The Pharisees, however, were, the, were members of a religious movement whose goal was to ensure the Jewish people obeyed the Bible so that nothing like the exile ever happened again. They had identified 613 commands in the law of Moses and wanted every rule to be observed down to the smallest detail. They believed any act of disobedience provoked God to anger and endangered the nation's existence. But when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he created a crisis that united both groups into a common cause. Both wanted to kill him before his influence could spread any further. Thursday. A special meeting was convened between the high priests and the Pharisees. By high priest, John means Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas, along with a few other family members of the temple officials. By the Pharisees, he probably means the movement's most senior leaders. The purpose of the meeting was to determine what to do next. So far, all their efforts to discredit Jesus had failed. They asked one another, what are we doing that allows this man to do so many signs? And they had good reason to be frustrated. They had not been idle. They had worked hard to turn the crowds against Jesus. They had argued with him, tried to trick him into saying something politically dangerous. Uh, they had spread all sorts of slanderous accusations about his motives, his birthplace, his lack of education, his, and his Sabbath breaking. They had announced to all who would listen that he was demon-possessed, insane, and a blasphemer. And they had threatened to expel from Judaism anyone who confessed that he was the Messiah. Yet his popularity was soaring even among their own ranks. Oy vey, this is terrible. <laughs> this, can you see their frustration? I mean, we've been going at this guy with just a hammer, you know, and, and he's getting more popular and people are going all after him. It would be interesting to know who reported to John what was said in that private meeting. Nicodemus may have been present or at least heard from someone who was. Or one, one way or another, John is able to quote for us portions of a secret conversation. We learn that someone in that meeting warned everyone, if we allow him to continue this, in this way, we will, all will believe in him and the Romans will come. And, and now notice the way I word it, because this, this is what it says. Take from us both the place and the nation. It doesn't say our place and our nation. It says, take from us the place and the nation. That statement reflects the fears of both groups. The high priests were afraid they would lose the place, which in that context means they would lose the temple. For failing to control a religious, uh, dangerous religious movement, the priest, high priest's position might be given to someone else, or the religious activities at the temple might be shut down, and that would mean a huge loss of revenue. That term, the place, uh, there, I give you the Deuteronomy 12.5 reference there. God says, when I bring you into the land, uh, talking to the nation of Israel in the Exodus, when I bring you into the land, I'm going to give you a place. And that's where you're to worship for me. It, and, and, it, and the very words are the place. And so they called it that. This is the place that he had done it. So they said, they're going to take that away from us. The Pharisees were afraid the Romans would come and take away the nation. 
In, that, in this context, the term probably means legal recognition that Rome had given to Judaism. Illegal religions could be openly persecuted, but legal religions were protected by law, so long as they didn't stir up civil unrest. And Judaism was a legal religion. But if Rome declared it to be illegal, synagogues would be closed. The practice that a religion would be outlawed. To Pharisees who focused on observing the law of Moses, that would be devastating. The Herods and the Roman governors had, had the authority to remove one high priest and appoint another whenever they felt it was necessary. The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus noted that there were 28 high priests between the beginning of Herod the Great's reign and the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. 28 uh, from Herod the Great to the destruction of the temple. Pontius Pilate's predecessor, Valerius Gratus, was the governor who removed Annas. And that's the old man here uh, that's going to be in that room. Uh, he's, he, he got, he is, he's, the, he's the sort of the senior guy. And then in turn set up Ismael Eliezer, son of Annas, Simon and Joseph Caiaphas, son-in-law of Annas. Caiaphas was high priest during the trial of Jesus and the persecution of the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. Even though Caiaphas held the title of high priest during those years, Annas, his father-in-law, remained in charge. Now, did you notice how John spoke of him? John mentions Caiaphas only as, quote, a certain Caiaphas being high priest that year. <laughs> you know, what a way to talk about the high priest. A certain Caiaphas who was high priest, oh yeah, that year. It tells you what he thinks. Of. By the way, John's family have a home in Jerusalem. John has, if you recall during the, uh, the, the trial of Jesus, he has access right into the high priest's home. He's a recognized family. He knows this guy. So he says, Caiaphas, that high priest that year. He just doesn't think anything. I, I'm glad someone else feels that way about things, you know. <laughs> You couldn't find two more difficult, pardon me, different groups than the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were polar opposites in their beliefs, and they hated each other. But when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, both groups felt they had a common enemy. And if he were allowed to continue, he would cause trouble for both. So they set their differences aside and became partners in a plot to assassinate him. Bonded by their mutual hatred, these enemies became, for the moment, friends, common enemy. As we said, humans by nature have a hard time getting along with each other, but people still gather in groups. So what are the forces that unify selfish, rebellious, independent people who don't naturally like each other? There aren't many. One is money. People are paid to work together as a part of their job. They share assigned projects and they can be friendly and helpful. But when, once the salary stops, the relationships usually stop as well. Another's family. We live together or gather for events because we're related. I mean, stop on that for a minute. Uh, that, that, I've heard someone say, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. When I, when I moved up here, and, and we, we, I wanted to have small groups, and, and I, I called the small groups at the time family circles. And I thought, isn't that a nice term, family circles? How warm. And it just didn't go over real well. And, and I, finally, someone had the nerve to tell me, and they just said, Pastor, the word family for a lot of us isn't that good. I said, really? I said, yeah, that's the ones we're stuck with till we get old enough to get away. And that's really, it's a sad comment. But it, it had something to do with how, how, how people's, many people's families 
were perceived. See, I grew up a single, a single, a single child of a, sing, of a single mom. And then a whole bunch of my family died. So I just longed as a kid for family. That's what I wanted. Because I thought that in a family, you were there by birth. They couldn't get rid of you, you know? You, 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 you were loved and accepted just because of who you were as, as in the family, not what you did. It wasn't a conditional kinds of acceptance. Now, I guess it doesn't quite work like that in a lot of situations, but that's what I was longing for all along. Family comes together, and that's one of the bonding forces uh, that pull us together. Safety is another. We move and live near each other, band together to protect ourselves from danger. Another's learning. We go to school or meet in groups to increase our knowledge. And though the list could go on to include things like recreation, there aren't many more. But there is one more that's un that unfortunately we have to add to the list because it's very common and very powerful. It's anger. People who are angry at the same thing or person tend to find each other. They have a common enemy, and as the old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You heard that? I think that thing goes back uh, centuries, if not millennia. That group doesn't bond because they like each other, but because they share the same dislike for someone else or some other group. This has always been a powerful force in human society. Throughout, human, throughout history, people have joined mobs, movements, revolutions, or plots. And those groups tend to last as long as the anger lasts. And anger usually isn't satisfied until the enemy is defeated. Warriors. There is a part of every human, man or woman, that's a warrior. God made us that way. And that part of our nature can be very positive as long as it's directed at the right enemy. God meant that warrior in us to be used against spiritual evil. He wanted humans to retake the planet by driving back the devil and his darkness. Now, I give you a couple of references, but let me tell you what I'm saying there. Would you notice that when, when, when the first humans were created on the planet, the devil was already here? Anybody notice that? Where was he? He's that snake in the tree, yeah, and, and trying to get you to eat an apple or whatever it was. What was he doing here? Why was he here? I, I, I think there, there was already demonic forces on the planet. David picks up in, a, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 8. He picks up from Genesis 1 where God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And David picks that up in Psalm 8. And he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. And then he says this, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. And have you ever thought, what, what do you mean babies? What he's saying is the command of God is to produce children and, and multiply and that the human race submitted to God would take over this planet and push back the darkness. We were put here in part for a warrior purpose, to drive back this, the, the darkness of the enemy and, and to fight against the right fight. So you've got that nature in you. Have you noticed? Even, even, the, most, even the most gentle, you, 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 even the most gentle woman, you, you touch her kids, you watch whether she's a warrior. She'll take you down. She, no joke. God put that kind of thing in us. 
and, and at, at our men's retreat, I, I preached a sermon. This, this was really new to me. Uh, the Lord just kind of showed it to me. What I call it ambition, competitiveness, and courage. Women, be careful when you send your men to those Brenner's retreats. They got stuff like that. <laughs> ambition, competitiveness, and courage. And I was saying to the men, God made you that way. Because usually when, when, men, when you hear those kinds of words, you think, oh, those are all bad things. We need to stomp them out. We need to become passive and, and soft and gentle, you know. God made you with those strong things inside you. Why? He made you a warrior to fight the right fights, to right, fight the right fights. Well, what are those? He gives us a warrior nature and a spiritual authority so we could win that war, that against the spiritual darkness. We, but we've misused it to fight against each other. Did you see this? We turn that nature on each other. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes our real enemy. Why don't you read that with me? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. What's that mean? What's flesh and blood? People. Yes, it's not people. Paul says Stop it. It's not people you're fighting. They are under the influence of demonic forces. They're deceived. They're addicted. They're, they're assaulted. They're victims. They're victims. Yes, complicit victims in many ways, but they're, they're been caught in this stuff. He says your, our fight is against the demonic structures. And boy, he goes through quite a list there, doesn't he? I, don't, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to be one of those pastors that tells you what they all are, but, but there's the demonic forces. And he says, that's your war. And so when you're praying over your city, you're praying over your family, you're praying over your business, you're praying over situations, you have to understand there's a spiritual force opposing you. That's what you target. That's what you go for. I've told you this. One of the things that I, I and you ought to try it. <laughs> Just try it. Fast, and, and when I fast, it's really a late lunch. Uh, there's nothing impressive about my fasting. I'll skip breakfast, and then I'll go into, into the early afternoon, generally. Somewhere in there, I feel like, all right, I, 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 need, to, I need to eat something, probably. And, but I always, the, the word that rings in my head that God said to me, says, don't waste your fast. So I'll say, what do you want me to pray for? And it's amazing how he will download things. It starts to roll. And it did this week. I just noticed that I... All, I, I'm thinking, I'm feeling kind of, huh, I don't know what to pray for. And then all of a sudden, I begin to pray, and I begin to just walk around my house, you know, heaven forbid. Mary's gone. Um, she's in Myanmar. She can't hear me. And, and, and so I'm, and I'm, and I'm walking around the house, and I'm just praying with authority, just bringing down these things and the things that are assaulting this and that and the other thing. And some of you, the, the things not, I'm praying against you. I'm praying against the things that have hurting you. And I, and I, but I can feel it. I mean, I'm engaging. You can tell when, you can tell when the tires have traction. You, can, you know what I mean in prayer? You know when you're being heard. I mean, it's just like, oh, this is working. Here we go. And, and you start praying as it were swinging that sword with authority. That is not odd. That's the way you, men and women, are made. You are warriors. God gave you 
that. And he puts a sword in your hand, and he tells us to use it strongly to go to battle against the right enemy, against the spiritual forces that oppose us. I'm sure by now you've guessed where this sermon is going. Because that warrior spirit that unites people around a common enemy is surging in our nation and around the world. So much so that one could make the case that it feels like we're entering the last days. I'm not saying we are, but I will say that's the sort of thing you can look for. People are gathering to stir up anger, not calm it down. To identify enemies, not look for ways to heal differences. To point out what's wrong, not what's right. And that sort of unity, quote, isn't healthy. Those angry emotions arise from our flesh, regardless of how good we believe our goal may be. And the anger it produces only gets worse and spreads to others. James says this. Would you read that with me? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's really a, a, a sobering note. The anger of man does not achieve the, anger, the, the righteousness of God. When we're angry, we're going to make trouble. Uh, it's just not the way God works. Yes, you can be emotional, but you've got to calm that down and listen to his guidance. It ends up causing people to do things or say things that they're ashamed of later on. But thankfully, in the midst of his description of that conspiracy to murder Jesus, John reminds us that our Savior came to bring people together for a very different reason, gathering God's children. John was deeply aware that Jesus died not only for the sins of Israel, but for the sins of non-Jews as well. He reminds us that Jesus died not only for the people of Israel, but so that he might also gather together into one the children of God who have been scattered abroad. God's goal is to gather believing Jews and Gentiles into one new harmonious spiritual family. Let me tell you, those are two different cultures, widely. And when you, when you see the, the, the early church in the book of Acts and, and the letters, you can see the friction. You've got conservative Jews who are eating kosher, who are, who are living these careful lives, and then you've got these wild uh, Gentiles coming in who've been worshiping the goddess Diana and doing who, who never mind. And, and you've got some of those wild kinds of things going to these oracles where they, where they breathe uh, drugs and then out out prophet. They're coming out of that world, and then you've got this world, and you're trying to put those two together in church. And it didn't work easily. And that's the story of the book of Acts. It's the friction, the tension, and the what are you doing letting those people in? was going on in the book of Acts as they, as they wrestled. And yet, and yet, that was God's will. He did what? He came to, he died not only for uh, Israel, but he died also for the children of God who are scattered abroad, bringing them together into one. In other words, God draws people together for an entirely different reason than the world does. He draws his children together based not on who they reject, but who they love. Paul instructed the believers in Ephesus to be eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he reminded them of the foundational truths that bound them together. 
He said, why don't you read this with me? There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He's saying to people, and, and, and he's talking to, to Jews and Gentiles who are very different. He's saying, don't you see what you have in common? Yes, you've got different cultures. Yes, you've got different languages. You've had all of these different things. But don't you see what you have in common? You have one Lord. Who's that? One, Jesus Christ. Yeah, in case that you missed. One, one faith. What's that? The death and resurrection of our Lord that saves us. One baptism, what's that? Into Christ. He's not talking about you only get wet once. That's not the point. He's saying you've got one baptism. It's the baptism into Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. You all share, he says, the same heavenly Father. You're the children of the same Father. You're in a family. To the believers in Corinth, he said, read this with me. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. I love that. He says, when I become a Christian, the Holy Spirit baptizes me, immerses me, plunges me into the, into the family of God. Doesn't ask my permission. Doesn't say, would you like to? He says, you're, you're mine? Thwomp. That's what he did to you too. You cannot get away from us. You're stuck with us. We'll be there forever. You know, you ever have that? I'm just going to change churches. I don't like that people. But we're going to be there. And there we are. So he plunges us into the family of God. And the second thing he does, Paul, Paul says, is he says we've been made to drink of one spirit. In other words, we are all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Same dwelling within us is the same spirit. He says you're in the same body, so you're supposed to work together. You're full of the same spirit. He says, be one, be a, recognize who you are. In fact, it's, it's, it's the fact that we are all love Jesus that draws us together. And it's the new heart that he gives us that keeps us together. Selfless love, trusting surrender, and humble cooperation allow us to be loyal to people who think differently than we do, who do things differently than we do, and who come from different backgrounds than we do. What we have in common is so much greater than our differences. I have friends who I can't believe the way they vote. I'm thinking to myself, what are you thinking? And they are thinking to themselves, I can't believe the way he votes. What is he thinking? But we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Right now, people, the, the, the forces that are just tearing people apart, that, that we, we can't let that infect us. It will absolutely ruin what God's trying to do. I, I had one of the things that, that really... Um, Troubled me. I got a letter from a couple of letters actually, of people who they've they've had somebody. One case, uh, somebody prayed for a candidate that wasn't their choice, and they so they left the church. Look, if somebody prays for a candidate, it's not your choice. You pray for yours. 
But you, you and I cannot be prickly. We have, cannot walk out on each other and say, well, we, if, if there's, if, the people think differently. People have different issues they bring to it. I'm, I'm not trying to be friendly. This is not going to be, um, we're going to think differently, all right? I've had people accuse me and say, uh, Steve, you just don't have any courage. You don't talk about politics. Aren't you getting enough? Do you need more? It's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. You can't get away from it. I think church should be a politic-free zone. Not because, look, you say, well, don't you care how? Look, my job is to teach you the word of God. And, and, and to see that you and I get to worship into the presence of the Lord and, and, and all that. And, and then you assume that the Holy Spirit's growing you up as an adult in Christ. You're not dependent children. You're sons and daughters of the living God. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money or how to give your money. You, I, that's one of the things that even bothers people about me. I don't require you to tithe here kind of thing. Why? I think the Holy Spirit should be telling you where to give your money. Why? Because I trust the Holy Spirit. And, I, and we're supposed to be adults. We're growing up as adults, making decisions and understanding and using our conscience. That has to be there for all of us. The same thing's true of voting. If after, if after learning the word of God, if after understanding Jesus Christ, and after all of this kind of thing, you don't have the maturity to somehow make a good decision when you vote, we've failed miserably. I don't need to tell you how to vote. I need to tell you the word. I figure when the politicians start talking about Jesus, then I'll start talking about politics. <laughs> but, but somebody's got to talk about Jesus. And there's nobody else that I know of who's doing that. And if the churches stop, and if we don't talk about him, we don't present the gospel, if we don't bring people to those essential things, nobody else is. And, and I, I got you for an hour and 45 minutes. A, a week, maybe. And I'm not going to waste it talking about other things. We're going to talk about the Word of God. We're going to grow up in Christ, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will guide you and me uh, in, as we vote and as we do all of these kinds of things. Is that all right? That's it's the way I think about it. All right. A prophetic community. These are dangerous times. Everyone can feel it. Believers and unbelievers alike. People are pulling apart over their differences and uniting around their shared anger. If that trend continues unchecked, it can keep our, tear our society apart. That's why what we do as believers matters so much right now. If you or I allow ourselves to be drawn into the anger that's swirling around us, it will inevitably sour our spirit too. We will become part of the problem rather than part of God's solution. In the midst of all the confusion, the world needs to see what God's love looks like, not just listen to us talk about it. They need to see people who are very different from each other come together and stay together. They need to watch people who offend each other forgive each other and be patient with each other. They need to watch strong-minded, independent people choose to submit to one another and work harmoniously together. 
They need to see people who pray for one another rather than criticize one another. They need to see a community of people that gathers because of those they love, who, uh, of who they love, not who they oppose. And being such a community is much easier said than done. Boy, is it ever. It requires each of us to die to our selfishness, rebelliousness, and independence, and daily choose selfless love, trusting, surrender, and humble cooperation. But when we choose to live like that, we can, and we can, we become a prophetic community that lets the world watch a little bit of heaven on earth. I have never forgotten a statement. I, I, a, a pastor named Tom Skinner, years ago when I was in seminary, came and spoke at the school. And he said, he said, when people come to church, you ought to be able to say, come with me to church. I want to show you what heaven will be like. All kinds of people loving each other, working together peacefully and, and, and lovingly. You're not going to see that in the world. If they don't see it here, and come on, I, I admit history has been a bad, is a bad story for us. History is, is it's, it's inexcusable. I, I, what, I don't know what to say with that. But I, I can't control history. I can control me. You can control you. You understand? This is our day. This is our watch. This is what we can do. And we don't have to live like that. We can love each other and be peaceful with each other and give each other the space to be different and not walk out on each other for that difference. Because we have the same, what? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We share that. People grow weary of the bitterness and anger that's all around them. And they will be looking for people with a different spirit. And many will come and seek shelter among us. Those, these are dangerous times. But the very forces that make this season so dangerous also ripen the harvest. Already people around us are longing for something different. All this anger is frightening. What they long for, whether they know it yet or not, is for Jesus, who's waiting to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Our assignment is to let them see his love among us and then welcome with open arms those who join us. Would you stand with me? I really believe it. As the world sours, people will be desperately saying, is there a place where my heart would be safe? Is there a place where people love each other? Is it have to be like this everywhere? And they will look. They will look at the church. And they will wonder. And I, I, all I can say is, I pray with all my heart. Here and, and the Lord will do it across, around the world. That they'll see a little bit of heaven. And we can do that. It will require each of us, you and me. I, I would say daily, if, it, if I'm in any measure of this, where we choose to forgive, if, if something really stings, we'll sit down with each other and talk about it. Face to face, kindly. Not, not, not holding a trial. But kindly speak to each other so we can forgive and let go. We will fight to, to not allow 
the, the breach to come between us. The devil does, is the accuser of the brethren. And the devil plants in all of us those thoughts. I'll just speak for myself. It's, it's a constant friction for me. Things, I was up at four in the morning. I didn't sleep since then. I, what? Things that, I, some of the, just the pain I heard last night. I'm just sitting working through that. I mean, sad. And, and then somebody tells me about some other situations and I'm frustrated with that. I just have to say, Lord Jesus, I forgive. I bless. I pray for those. I have to choose to not be sucked in and become bitter. Because the minute I do that, I'm, I'm done. Are you willing to do that? It's hard work. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. But if you and I will be diligent, God will put together people and heal people into a family. And I think that, I'll go back to what I said as a boy, I think that's what we long for. I think we long for the family of God. To be loved and accepted because of who we've been born, not what we accomplish. And that's how I think Jesus wants his family. We've been born as children of God. Lord Jesus, we do ask you, just grace us with this. Help us love. Help us be kind. Help us be forgiving. Help us not just tolerate. Help us walk with each other even in our differences. We ask for that grace upon us. Lord, we choose. We want heaven right here. We want to look like heaven and sound like heaven and feel like heaven. We just ask you to bless us with that grace. Come, Holy Spirit, every one of our hearts, we commit to walk with each other kindly and peacefully. In Jesus' precious name we pray it. If you agree with me, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.